Welcome to Marvel News, presented by SuperheroNews.com. My name is Sean Gerber, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Paul Herman. How's it going, Paul? It is uh, It is going very well. We have finally been brought back together, Sean. I know. It's been so long, and I know we have, besides today, we have so much to do on another show, but yes, I can't wait to get this uh, started today with the, with a Doctor Strange review. Yeah. That's right. And uh, joining us for our Doctor Strange review is back on the Marvel News Podcast, Chris Clow. How's it going, Chris? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Well, you came, My ninja. You, uh, you came to bargain, stuck us in a time loop, and, <laughs> and here we are. So, uh, oh, spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, but now the movie's been out for a couple weeks, so if you're listening to this show, you've probably seen it. Um, anyway, so yes, this is our Doctor Strange spoiler review. Sorry for it being late. I was uh, all set to review it on opening weekend like we normally would. Uh, but then all of a sudden I had to travel on short notice for work and the internet wasn't really great at my hotel and certainly not good enough to, uh, maintain this podcast. So we had to wait till I got back and got ready. And then I had to go run like a half marathon and a 10 K last weekend to go get medals because I'm weird like that. And I'll, I won't exercise for any other reason other than being bribed with Marvel medals. So (laughs) (laughs) so they offered those up last week and I went and I got them. Uh, but now we're ready to uh, to talk about Doctor Strange. And then, as Paul alluded to, we have plenty of other things to catch up on, which we will do in another show. But this one is completely dedicated to Doctor Strange. Um, and I'll throw it out to you first, Paul, because my thoughts have already been kind of shared from a non-spoiler perspective in my written review. And yeah. I kind of talked about it a little bit on our previous episode. Um, but mm. I have no idea what you thought about oh. the movie. You and I have not spoken about the movie. No. I saw one of your usual... <laughs> cryptic tweets of like i'm gonna say something that says nothing about what i think of this movie in pure paul herman style oh you know the the p thuggery was in full effect on your post doctor strange tweet so i really have no idea what you thought of the movie um so uh for our opening round of general thoughts what'd you think um well you know, first of all, I, I got to say that it's it's fun to be cryptic because I want to save it for the podcast, and I think it's cool. Yeah, I haven't you haven't even asked me, you know, in a text like, you know, what'd you nope. think? So, nope. this I is, so, so this is yes, yeah, off the cuff. So you're gonna have real reaction from Sean. Um, my initial reaction of Doctor Strange is, and I've only seen it once, and I should tell you something. Um, I I didn't I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I, I liked it. Um, I thought it was solid. Um, I thought it kind of it, it had some there were some problems that I had with the film, um, but in the end I, I feel that it was not a terrible film either. So it was just kind of one of those things where I, I wasn't expecting more. I just you know I just I was left with a, a satisfied feeling, but a feeling where I wasn't like begging to go see that movie again right away. Um, and we'll obviously get into like the the reasons why I liked some of the parts and I didn't like some of the parts. But you know, I, I will just say off the bat that you know Benedict was fantastic as Stephen Strange. I loved him as you know as that character. I thought I felt he was great. So you know, I think that's ultimately you wanted to make an entertaining film, which they did. You wanted your main actor, the hero, to be successful, which it was. And I feel that that's what you need to do with a franchise kind of opening thing. Because with with all you can do with Doctor Strange and all like the craziness that they showed and they haven't shown yet with, with all other uh, possibilities, I feel this is a, it was a great introduction to the character in that respect. And what do you think, Chris? 
I enjoyed it. Um, I still have not really acclimated myself to hearing Benedict Cumberbatch speak in an, an American accent. Um, but other than that, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, as someone who is a relative neophyte to Doctor Strange, I've absorbed more of the uh, of the Ditko artwork than I have the original stories. And visually, I thought it was very representative in a good way of, uh, of, of sort of the conceptions that Ditko brought in in the creation of the character but there was also something that was pretty recognizable to me as a fan of modern comics i mean my first real exposure to doctor strange was when he was brought into the fold of the new avengers uh after secret invasion when they were sort of using uh the sanctum sanctorum as a hideout to stay one step ahead of uh of norman osborne and from what I understand about the character, uh, they're definitely showing him in a more uh, a formative period in his life. I mean, obviously, he's got a hell of an ego by the time the movie starts. It's sort of mitigated by the time the movie ends. But I, um, th- I've seen a lot of comparisons to Tony Stark, which I think are valid. But also, too, it says enough unique things about the additions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall that that's probably the most value I find in it. They've just opened an entirely new door into the kinds of stories that can be told, as well as adding some pretty great weapons in the arsenal against Thanos that will be coming up in Infinity War. So as far as the implications on the MCU overall, I thought it was a really interesting eye-opener to to what the MCU can become in in future films and future phases but also too i mean cumberbatch i think is one of the best actors working today so if you have him as your lead i'm probably going to be on board and i certainly was yeah i really loved doctor strange I, I you know i really actually want to have hear what paul says after he sees it a second time because i I wouldn't say that I was totally in your shoes after the first time I saw it. Because the first time I saw it, I I was pretty sure I loved it. I knew I at least liked it. Um, but I was, you know, there were, I kind of had that, that thing that, that, that happens to me actually a lot with superhero movies. But especially when it's a brand new one about a character who's never shown up in any kind of movie before. And no, that 1978 one doesn't count or whatever. Um, no, it doesn't. So... Um, <laughs> Anyway, like when that happens, sometimes like I have an inflated opinion of it because like I'm just happy to have it. Uh, <laughs> like I'm just like, oh great, no, I totally. It's, it's a totally. Doctor Strange movie, so I'm stoked. Um, so I knew I probably loved it, but I wasn't totally convinced if like it was really as great as I thought it was, or if it was just me kind of you know giving it a, a lot of passes. But then I I saw it uh, a second time. I got to see it uh, the next day because. Um, I was lucky enough to tag along to go to the premiere after seeing it at the junket. And so like watching it again the next day, like I loved it. Like I knew I loved it after the second time, like, okay, like all the, there's great stuff here. And, uh, from a visual standpoint, I mean, my biggest thing was, as you alluded to Chris, like I wanted to be able to walk into, you know, and live inside a Steve Ditko panel. And that's what I got to do in this movie actually several times whether it's the dark dimension or all these, you know, all the other places that Doctor Strange just shot through uh, after he first uh, met the Ancient One in uh, Kamartage. Like, it was all just great, great stuff. I mean, the visual effects um, and 
Shout out to VFX supervisor Steph Ceretti, uh, who did he did Guardians of the Galaxy a couple of years ago, and now he did Doctor Strange, and I think he actually topped what he was doing in Guardians, which was amazing. Uh, but Doctor Strange, I think from a visual effects standpoint, um, by far, and uh, which is not to say that the visual effects movie, the visual effects in other Marvel movies have been bad; they've been great. Uh, but I think uh, with uh, under the leadership, under the supervision of Seth Ceretti, uh they went to totally new heights with uh, Doctor Strange, and it was really amazing. And I think Scott Derrickson, as the director, did a fantastic job of really navigating that line of being faithful to what was in the comics while also adding things to it um, and kind of streamlining things a little bit and fitting it all within the bigger picture of the MCU, uh, while at the same time really providing you know, a lot of depth to these characters and a lot, of, uh, a lot of complexity to characters like Doctor Strange and the Ancient One and Mordo. Um, and, and more so than I think it was in there in a lot of the uh, a lot of the initial comics, because um, the, they really I mean a lot of this stuff I mean it's pulled from the the stuff that Stanley wrote that Steve Ditko was drawing. The origin is very much the same, um, minus obviously a few modern updates to it, like texting and driving causing the accident. But you know a lot of that was <laughs> was extremely faithful, um, and even the idea of Caecilius being kind of imbued with power by Mordo from, uh, I'm sorry, by Dormammu from the Dark Dimension. Uh, as I mentioned before, when I was kind of speculating about this movie, um, th- there's actually storylines in those di- in the Stanley comics where the ones where Caecilius actually appears, but the same kind of thing happens, except it's Baron, it's uh, Mordo who actually is getting the powers from Dormammu. So I figured they had done that swap, and that's what they did um, in terms of taking the comic book storyline and inserting that into uh, some of the movie. Um, there's a lot of faithful stuff in here, but I really loved it. And uh, I know there's some kind of different... There's obviously the similarity to Tony Stark in terms of the arrogant rich guy who is humbled and emerges a better person, except that you know Tony Stark, as we've kind of seen uh, a lot of times in over the course of the MCU and all of his appearances, he's not really that different of a guy. Uh, he just applies kind of being the same guy into different ways. I think what we're going to see from Stephen Strange is a guy who's actually changed. And I know we, he has to kind of stick with that because the movie ends with him being changed. So we don't know how much he'll stick with that uh, going forward, but it seems like he might. Um, but even his entire arc uh, for this film and learning that it's not about him and learning the, learning the real difference between, you know, learning what it means to actually be selfless um, cause, and not, he did not do it, you know, cause I think he confuses, so he, throughout the film, he confuses selflessness, which with what's actually selfishness. And, you know, he kind of finds out that difference when the ancient one points it out to him and says, it's not about you, which we'll get into you more later. But anyway, I'm totally getting too specific in the opening round, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I really love it. There's a lot of layers, uh, to this movie. And, you know, if I had to throw out a more general criticism, uh, of the film, I did feel, you know, Obviously, it's Doctor Strange, and I think they went as crazy as they needed to in this movie, but I always would have pushed him to go even crazier, uh, even though they, they were sufficiently nutty with the, and trippy with the stuff that they yes. put in, in this movie. But I would have always put, you know, I'll always want it to go farther with Doctor Strange. Um, but I, I think the other thing they could have done, and, and I don't even know if it would have made sense, and it, it might have ruined the entire movie, but finding some way to kind of mess with the narrative a little bit, because the structure of the movie and the beats are very, very similar to previous superhero origin stories which i think is yes what, you know some things that people kind of knock for it so 
They could have done some things, although originally I thought, well, why didn't, they could have used a nonlinear narrative, but then again, that's been done in superhero origin stories too. Batman Begins, Iron Man, like it's, it's happened. So there's not a lot of things you could do in an origin story to totally make every beat uh, feel completely different. And I agree that you, you ultimately needed to do an origin story because there's so much information to try and introduce an audience to with Doctor Strange. So it's kind of, uh, some of that is, is unavoidable. So, you know, I, I kind of wish they maybe found some ways to play with the narrative a little bit just to kind of uh, disguise, you know, the, the trademarks of, uh, of a superhero origin story. But ultimately, I can't really fault them for not doing it because it was also important to have a lot of clarity in a movie like this. And, uh, and it's obviously worked because audiences are, are digging the movie. So, you know, for somebody who already knows a bunch about Doctor Strange, there was stuff that they gave me that I didn't need. But I can't be selfish in that way because I know that information would be necessary if I wasn't already uh, already such a fan. Yeah, you know, as someone like me who was familiar with Doctor Strange for a, a long time but never really bought his comics, he was mostly a, a, a guest star in, like, Ghost Rider or um, some Hulk comics that I've read. Um, I didn't really get to know Doctor Strange until I started reading um, or got back into comics around 2004 and started reading the new Avengers, and he became a big, big member of of that after Civil War, the, the comic series. And um, I, I, I like Doctor Strange now, but it's it's just you know I've never been the biggest care you know fan of the character, and I'm not sure if that goes into um, this movie at all. But you know, it definitely. I definitely think that the movie did a good job of, I think, explaining the character, of giving us the beats, like you said, of of who you know what needs to happen to him to become Doctor Strange. So, um, yeah, it's been a. I don't know. I, I, it was refreshing for me to get, you know, almost reintroduced to a character because I don't know all the details of him, you know. So there's even some surprises for me a little bit. Like, I'll be quite honest, like the cloak, I never had, I had no idea that it was like an actual, like, cloak of levitation. I didn't even know that much about Doctor Strange. So I was like, oh, duh. Okay, that makes a lot more sense now. Like, I had no so idea. You really just thought it was an inanimate cape? The whole time, I thought I was just—I thought I was just because he was the master of mysticism. <laughs> so he was, you know. I mean, honestly, because because in the comics, when, when I read, because you know, when I read the comics, I don't know if I just, just took it for granted or what, what. You know, I had no idea that that's what made him fly. I thought he just flew on his, on his own for, with spells. So, um, you know, that's how much I didn't know about Doctor Strange. Like I, you know, self admittedly, did not know much about him. So I can, I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, it kind of just goes back to uh, I remember Stanley. <laughs> Stanley one time criticized Superman's ability to fly, saying it doesn't make any sense. It's not even scientific. At least when I make Thor fly, he's throwing a hammer, and it's the <laughs> hammer that's flying. <laughs> So he, so he always he always adds tools to right. for, yeah, for people to right. accomplish not, this kind of stuff. Well, that's no, true. There's not a lot of natural flyers in in the. I mean, now there are several, but uh, in comics anyway. But in the MCU, I don't know. Do we have a natural flyer? In the MCU, yeah, in Vision. Vision? Uh, mm-hmm. But even but even the Russos change that up because the Russos, um, like you don't see Vision flying the way that Vision did in Age of Ultron. Like they. And I think they even pointed it out in the commentary track for Civil uh, Civil War. They kind of retconned it a bit. Like he, uh, it's really more about him changing his density to be lighter than air to kind of levitate, as opposed to just straight up flying. Which, whatever. Uh, either way, he flies. 
Uh, but yeah, he's kind of the only one because Tony Stark obviously uses the suit, Thor, the hammer, and uh, Doctor Strange. Well, and Vision, the, the cloak Vision himself Vision. originated as a tool. So, true. you know, he, uh, I mean, he's a sentient tool, but he is a piece of technology that can change more than a human being yeah. can. That's, so That's, that's true. really mean, Chris. Vision's a tool. <laughs> hey, I, love, I, love, I love Vision. That's messed I, up. Uh, I, Eddie. When it, when his marriage broke down, I was so sad. Oh, I know. I'm still sad. Oh, uh, oh we're all sad. Especially if you read sad. his uh, comic series, which is brilliant, well, but but sad. Well, you you are reading you are reading it now, by yeah, the way. I read it. Yeah. Oh, dude. As soon as you were, as soon as you told me to read it, I started reading it. I was following along each month until until it sadly ended. But uh, anyway, okay. uh, getting back to Doctor Strange because we're not reviewing <laughs> the Vision comic, although you should we read should. it. Uh, you, that's the re- that's the review. You should absolutely go go find it and read it. Um, yes, yes. But it, and it's the one that came out this uh, started last this year. year by Tom mm. King, right? Yeah, Tom King, writing Batman. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, find that, read it. Um, but anyway, for Doctor Strange, uh, it yeah, I think. Well, let's get into more specific stuff. So I didn't, I wasn't bothered by Benedict's American accent. I actually was initially when I first heard it in a in the trailers, but um, once it started in the movie with that opening scene, and by the way. I love that we got to see him being a brilliant neurosurgeon as opposed to just being told. Like, I, I like that we actually got to see him doing his thing as a brilliant doctor and doing something that, yeah. you know, another doctor wasn't competent enough to do, as, uh, you know, as uh, Stephen Strange put it. So I really loved that opening because um, it really emphasized the idea of, like, this guy is actually really and truly a doctor. Um, it wasn't something that was just kind of glanced over. So I loved that that was part of it. And that was actually what I was a little worried about when I first saw the movie is I know we had the, there's the big action opening uh, prologue, um, which was cool by the way. But then once we got into the, the, you know, the meat of the first act, as I was watching it, I was thinking I'm loving this, but I don't know how much everybody else is going to love this. Cause I'm totally into the character, but as we've seen with you know some superhero films before, sometimes audiences don't always respond to spending that much time to with the character before they become the superhero. Um, but this movie really did a great job with that, and I think they did a really. I, I love the way that they kind of showed his arrogance in a way that wasn't just like I don't think they didn't show his arrogance in a Tony Stark kind of way. Like Tony Stark's arrogance is very very overt. Like it's very much. Um, you know, it, it's totally on the surface that Tony Stark is is an arrogant jerk. It's less so with Stephen Strange. Like the arrogance is there, you can see it, but he's not completely unlikable in that scene. Like when he goes through the whole little uh, music challenge, like and all the things. Like he's actually kind of charming and likable. But I think you get more into the arrogance with the way that you hear him kind of talking about other people. Uh, but then I think even the best demonstration of it comes uh, really right before he has his accident. As you know, when he as he's determining whether or not he's going to see a patient, you see it being based on you know, being motivated by his own ego. The first one he passes on because it's too easy. Uh, the second one he passes on because he know he he believes he can't do it, and therefore it's not worth trying because it ruins his perfect record. Um, and then he's told of one case that's just a total weird anomaly that he thinks he might be able to do something about, and so he starts leaning that direction, and then he has uh, and then he has the accident. So. I really love the way they did the kind of the setup of, of breaking of showing Doctor Strange is arrogant without making him Tony Stark, uh, and at the same time really doing a good job of setting up uh, the breaking of that character. I certainly hope Tony Stark wasn't listening in on that call. By the way, yeah, <laughs> true. Oh boy, very true. 
Well, you know, I, I feel Doctor Strange, uh, or I should say uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's performance was, was pretty spot on. Um, oh, yeah. You, you know, I, I think that the, I see the similarities of, of Tony Stark, and I think it, they were, but I think the arrogance and the, uh, whereas I think he was more arrogant than Tony. Oh, Tony was arrogant, but he was more fun and like a little more freewheeling. Whereas, you know, Stephen Strange is a lot more precise, a lot, <clears throat> a lot more just kind of would talk down to people. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of look, you look and see this guy, um, be addicted to other people where you see Tony at least be, he's charming. Like what he's in when you're, when you're in the Humvee with Tony and all the soldiers, he, you know, everyone likes him, you know, even though like, you know, he's a rich jerk drinking in, you know, his scotch or whatever, uh, in the, in the, in the Humvee with them. Yeah, you can like, never, they all, yeah, at, at no point do you ever stop liking him, you know, exactly. Like, he's so it's, He's like that guy, like, you know he's a selfish jerk, and yet you love him anyway. Um, but, exactly. exactly. But, yeah, but Stephen Strange goes into this kind of this other space because he has that scene with Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer where he says, you know, this is the part where you leave. Um, and I just remember when that happened, I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> like, it was a really, you know, brutal thing for him to say and the way he was acting in there. And, and it was a great performance by Cumberbatch in that scene, by the way. Uh, when he just totally, uh, totally loses it, and this is kind of him hitting, uh, hitting rock bottom, and mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that's what they kind of showed is that you know I, I they didn't make him such a fun character in the way that like when he does bad things and when he says things that are that are terrible and he shows his ego and he shows his arrogance like it almost feels more impactful because it actually brings you up to that line of maybe turning on that character and, and not liking him anymore uh, before they eventually bring it back. Whereas with Tony Stark, you know, it's, it never comes close to putting him in a place where you're not going to like him. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with that, the, the similarity for me was, was gone, but I think there's what the, one of the things I think that's so great about Dr. Strange uh, that I'll give a lot of credit to is the fact that the redeeming of his personality is there. Whereas, you know, with, again, with Tony, you have, he's regrets of the things that he built that, you know, killed people, you know, which is a, a whole nother, it's a whole different thing than what Stephen Strange is mm-hmm. finding his, you know, hum, you know, humanity of, of himself and his selfishness, and that's and I think what's what's awesome is that's very relatable for a lot of people. A lot of us can be selfish, myself included. So it was really nice to see that you know it's you know you, you are not you can be selfish, but you you can be redeemed. You can be redeemed in the long run if you if you really identify with who you are and understand like what exactly you're doing to yourself. And that's essentially what happened to Doctor. Strange. He, he, once he realized that he was living only for himself, is, is is truly when he started becoming a better sorcerer. And I think that was a really cool like theme in, in these in these films. So I don't know. I, I I totally get behind where the similarities with with Tony and, and Steven, but I think it really is they are they're very witty. And they can be brutal, but like that's really where it ends. They have very different personalities at that point, which I think will be good in future films. Oh, they yeah. can really, where you can, they can build off each other. And I don't think they're going to like each other at first. I think, in fact, I think Tony and and I'm not saying that just because they're they're too similar. I think the actually they're they're so different because I think one, you know, where Tony is still a selfish person, and I think Stevens becoming out of that selfishness and becoming self more selfless. I'm looking forward to seeing their interactions. Well, I actually kind of felt like the Ancient One was kind of an emotional stand-in for the audience, or at least it was for me when I was mm. watching the movie, because 
she had a um a very parent like perspective you know just well i mean he's he's got a good heart but we got to guide him a little bit you know and i sort of felt like that's that was representative of how I felt about strange while I was watching the movie. It kind of made for sort of a strange kind of interactive element with the movie because you could see that he's learning these things. His world is uh, both figuratively and literally being opened up and into an entirely new dimension. And he's starting to understand just how small he is. Mm -hmm. And with the ancient one, she comes in with, uh, this wide breadth of knowledge about what really encompasses this world that he's just now taking a couple of little steps into. And she seems sort of amused by the fact that he's relatively self-centered, but she doesn't really demean him for that. She just knows that she has to guide him to a point where he can become the man and the sorcerer that we expect him to become. So I thought that that was, I mean, I have no idea if that was an intention or not, just for, for my own experience watching the movie for the first time. There was kind of some interesting emotional transposition, I guess, between what I was feeling for Strange as the movie was playing out in the first two acts and what the Ancient One was trying to teach him. Yeah, and w- what I like is that it's not it's not simple, you know, and it's not this, like, linear from here to their arc for Stephen Strange, where, like, as soon as the Ancient One opens up his eyes to the multiverse that everything is better now uh, and that he's going to be better now, because actually what happens is he's initially humbled, but then once he starts getting the hang of, uh, of mysticism, of sorcery, uh, of the mystic arts, like, as soon as he starts getting a handle of it, he's right back to being arrogant Doctor Strange. He's, uh, you know, stealing books from Wong in the library. Um, he's... Uh, you know, of course, using astral projection to stay up all night and study, but he's doing all these things, and he's, you can see him getting cocky as this whole thing goes on, and he doesn't even know why he's doing it, and he even blatantly asks, like, so what exactly are we doing here? Because as far as he's concerned, the end goal of him learning all of this stuff is to be able to use his hands, and the, the reason he wants to use his hands is, you know, and, and again, this is what's a great theme about the movie is the true, one of the great themes, there's another one that I'll talk about, but it's the true nature of, of selflessness because he thinks that he's doing, you know, that he's doing the right thing and saving lives by being a neurosurgeon. If he can get back to that, then he gets to continue on with it. Um, and while he might be saving lives, like it's not a selfless act because he's doing it to feed his own ego. He's doing it. He's ultimately doing those things deep down uh, for himself to get the things that he wants. And it's the same thing once he starts learning the mystic arts is he's ultimately just trying to get his hands back so he can once again do all the things that he was doing to ultimately serve himself. And so I like that there is this thing for him to learn and that he doesn't learn it right away. It's not like there's one moment that changes everything and then everything, and then he's all better now. Um, you know, he kind of falls back into his, his ego um, until finally, like he has that conversation with the ancient one uh, where she says, it's not about you. And that's where he, you know, has to realize, okay, like I, you know, this is, this is about self-sacrifice. This is not a, you know, this is about truly helping people for the sake, for their sake, not my own, uh, which feeds directly into, you know, what he's willing to do at the very end of the movie when we, uh, when we get into that. So I love the way, I, I really love the way that that's mapped out. But then the other big theme in here that I, I love in this movie and, 
you can see like there's there's four pillars of it. You have Stephen Strange, you have the Ancient One, you have Mordo, and you have uh, Caecilius, uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character. And the other theme in here, it's all, it is moral relativism. You know, it's the and slash fundamentalism. Like it's the idea of having to, you know, compromise morality and make certain choices um, that maybe can be hypocritical or go against whatever doctrines one might believe in. And you see the impacts of those things with those different characters because they all kind of have this sliding scale of the ends justifying the means, except Mordo, um, and he can't accept when others make those choices and it causes a, a break for him and, of course, is going to have uh, probably some pretty nasty results in future films. Um, but anyway, I, I love that there's there's just this really rich subtext, and I uh, throughout this entire you know throughout this entire film, and especially with these characters like Tilda Swinton's ancient one, I, I love the way that that Tilda played her in this, and you know, and uh, I just want to say I'm not oblivious to the controversy of her casting. Obviously, we've talked about it multiple times on this show, and all the concerns that you know and criticisms that people have of her casting, I, I get it, and it's it's valid to it's certainly a valid point of view. But just to you know, be specific to evaluating the performance that was put on screen, I thought Tilda Swinton did a fantastic job with this because I thought that as the ancient one, she had a great presence of somebody who, you know, had that on, omnipotent feeling, but at the same time also kind of was did a great job, especially just with her face. A lot of times, once we started learning that she was drawing power from the dark dimension, she just did a great job showing the complexity of that character. Um, and even be, you know, becoming a character who you know we're in awe of, but at the same time maybe not totally trusting because we're learning certain things about her. Um, so I really love the way that she played it, um, and she was, uh, you know, uh, she was a huge engine that kind of powered some of the bigger themes of this movie. In addition to uh, Cumberbatch's Strange. Yeah, in a way, she kind of played a similar role. Certainly not identical. But she sort of came across as the mystic Nick Fury to a point. Yeah. I mean, oh, she she had she had a, a perspective of um, uh, this. This might not be the most precise phrase, but I guess moral uh, authority. <clears throat> but you know, you find out that there's something of an underbelly underneath that, and you know, she explained herself reasonably well by the end of the movie. But uh, she also has a, a prescient awareness of everything that's really going on that Fury often tries to have about the quote-unquote real world. So, I mean, they're very different characters overall, but conceptually I think she played a relatively similar part, which was important to give uh, the uninitiated a better grasp of exactly what the mystical realm of the Marvel Universe will entail, especially as we go forward into other things. Yeah, the the ancient one was fine. I I didn't uh, absolutely love her performance. I just I thought it was it was, it was decent. Um, you know, I I she was a means to an end. You know, I mean, it was I it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, let's go through this beat. We have to introduce Doctor Strange to do this and that. Um, you know, she was fine. I I didn't like absolutely love the performance, but uh, you know, I thought she was a solid you know solid actress. You know performance and just i don't know it's just people like praised her you know i know that sean you just did and, and i've seen a lot of people do that as well and you know and, and not even with the with the with the controversy with the casting i just 
I don't know. It just, it just this ancient one character. Just it's, it's, it was weird because I expected her to be a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, like omni, uh, almost omnipresent, like or not omnipresent, but it's like you know a deity, if you will. Um, and so, like, she just seemed like not as powerful as I thought she would be. But I knew she was really powerful. But when like, um, is it Cassilius? I can't. I always say his name wrong. Cassilius is that his name? Caecilius is how they pronounce Caecilius, it. Caecilius, excuse me. Yeah. Caecilius. Uh, Caecilius uh, and her and his minions taking her on. And I don't know. It just, it was hard to, it just, she just didn't seem like as powerful as I thought she was going to be. But obviously she had to die. So it was just like, I guess I was just kind of expecting a little bit more from, from the character, from, from a, a power standpoint. Yeah. Well, the it ancient, was cool. That, yeah, but the Ancient One is almost always dead in uh, the, the, oh, the Lee and yes. Jinko comics. So, I mean, like, the Ancient One is. Oh, has actually historically been pretty fragile in the comics. Uh, but uh, aside from that, like I kind of thought she had a little bit of that omnipotence, but I think part of the reason she didn't have it like full on was, was actually by design because you, even, yeah. with the, even with the way the character is introduced, like she serves him tea, um, you know, she's not necessarily like it's, it is forgetting what you think, you know, and, and also that would be it. If the ancient one came across as being just, so powerful and just like worshipped by everybody in this weird kind of almost you know religious way it would directly contradict everything she's telling Stephen Strange about because if she is portraying herself as a servant of others um, and it really is about being in service of other people then she can't be sitting there and having you know coming across as as a god you know she needs to be coming across as a servant and I think that's why she did that's why like that's why her disposition is the way that it is uh, in the film, so and like it, I understand what you're saying in terms of you know the expectation you would have with the character and, and the power level, and I agree that it's probably not not necessarily the greatest idea to show her getting beat in the opening of the movie, <laughs> but uh, yes, not yes. that you know who she is right then, but you know whatever you you know the first time we see the ancient one, she loses, uh, kind of even though we see that she's very powerful, but she ultimately loses. The bad guys get away. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of her presence, I think that was very, very uh, specific and by design that actually uh, totally fits what her character is trying to teach Stephen Strange. And I think anything, you know, if she had come across as anything more than, than what she did, I think it would have put it into a place of contradiction, which wouldn't have necessarily been wrong because the character contradicted herself by drawing power from the dark dimension anyway. But I kind of like what she, you know, that that ultimately she was still true to herself and that, you know, whatever she was doing, it was, you know, because she felt it was in the pursuit of the greater good for the most amount of people, not necessarily for herself. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to take that silence as a win. So uh, I, Boom, yes. I, I won that argument. Anyway, uh, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> you, well, you didn't say anything to the contrary, so that's your fault. Moving on, no. all right. <laughs> Moving on, okay. So um, the other, uh, well, I want to talk since we mentioned his name before we forget the pronunciation. Let's talk about Caecilius a bit because this is one that I think anytime we watch uh, a Marvel movie, we everybody's immediately looking at the villain because of the quote-unquote Marvel villain problem, which. I've always thought was a bit overstated, uh, but yes. anyway, uh, I do think it's it's a shame that the first act pretty much loses sight of Caecilius, um, and mm-hmm. I think that's a bit of an issue. Uh, but 
I have to praise Mads Mikkelsen for getting a lot out of that character without necessarily getting a lot of time. Um, which, by the way, no pun intended. I didn't intend. <laughs> um, but uh, when he actually gives his speech, you know, after whatever that little trap that Doctor Strange threw on him, which, by the way, was pretty awesome. Um, when he actually gives his speech of, you know, what motivates him as a character, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, anybody who's lost somebody can kind of relate to what Caecilius is going through there. Um, and I think that was, uh, you know, it was a pretty amazing speech that kind of gave him, you know, a perspective as, as a character where you can see that from this guy. It's very common for villains to be portrayed as the hero of their own story. But it's significantly, it's significantly less common that they actually have a valid point when they're trying to do it. And I think he actually had a valid point. So, um, you know, his dialogue, obviously, was very well written. But I think, you know, it's a credit to Mads Mikkelsen as an actor for getting so much out of it. Because I, I enjoyed him. I don't necessarily think of him as a villain in the story because he is right about a lot of things. He may be misguided in terms of what he thinks is actually going to happen if the many become the one and join Dormammu in the dark dimension. Um, but uh, even the, like, so he, he may have, it's, it's misguided in what he thinks he's actually going to get out of it, but he is legitimately thinking that he's going to save the world. And he, when he calls the, you know, the first thing we hear him say is calling the ancient one a hypocrite in the beginning of the film. And she kind of is. And it's, you know, obviously she had, she had good reason to be, or you, we can argue whether or not she had good reason to be. But there's not a lot that Caecilius is wrong about in this movie. Um, so you, I, I, I love that he was given a valid point of view, and Mads Mikkelsen did a great job uh, communicating it. The problem with Caecilius is that, yes, he has a valid point of view, but he's the least interesting character I've ever seen in the MCU. Like, oh, I have, come on. Like, he is so boring. Wow. And, I, I, and, and this is where I really dislike. I just got this kind of thought of Doctor Strange is not as interesting because their main villain was just not interesting. I mean, his purple eyeliner was just, he's just, uh, I just, this guy just did nothing for me. Now Mads did, did, like you said it best with the little, and I'm saying little, they gave him, he made it bigger, as big as he could. And I think that they went the wrong way with having, uh, and it was it was smart to I think it was smart and not smart if that makes any sense to have Dormammu be the over you know the big you know guy that's you know feeling this whole fire kind of thing but I I would have preferred a little bit more focus on Dormammu with Caecilius um, because it's for me it's just there's nothing I mean yeah you're right like you got to give your villain a motivation most of the time and I think that like you, like you said that can be interesting and it can be and make you understand it but the character itself is just nothing interesting about him. Like there's nothing memorable besides his purple eyeliner. That really is all that's interesting about him. And I'm just like, he, it just seemed like one note. And I think this is where people will complain about the Marvel villains. And this is where they're right. Like this is, this is one of the main problems. I feel that Mordo should have been way, should have been the villain, not Cassilius. I think they should have went with Mordo, built up their relationship um, like they were trying to do in this film, and then have him turn heel at the very end, and then Doctor Strange has to you know take on someone he was you know thought of as a brother or a brother in arms, if you will, 
with Dormammu. So, and I understand what they want to build that, and I and I get it. But at the same time, I just for me, I just I thought it was just such a throwaway character. I mean, he was barely on screen. It seemed like You're, there was just there's just nothing for me to really attach myself and go, yeah. Like, it, here's the thing: you can have I think weak motivations for villains because you need these are superhero shows, right? I mean, you want to be entertained. You want to see the bad guy punch the you know the good guy and vice versa, whatever. I have no problem with that. Like, this is why I never had a problem with Ronan because Ronan had like some kind of motivation, but he looked freaking amazing. He was awesome. But, and you know, his fights, everything he did was cool. But with Cassilius, he just was boring and like not, didn't look interesting. And, and his, what he did just wasn't that interesting. And it just was, it just did nothing for me. So I, I think that, it just and then plus they didn't spend that much time with them, so it I just didn't really care about them. So I think that this is where the, the movie really kind of just kind of went downhill for me a little bit. Was where they really wanted they really wanted me to, to invest in Caecilius, but I just never took the bait. Where do you land on Caecilius, Chris? I I don't dislike him. I mean, I, for for the record, I like Paul's uh, heel turn reference. Uh, for for sure. Mordo, that's, that's, that's for you two guys. Oh, oh God, he's coming! In. He's got a check. Oh, he had Doctor Strange. Oh, for the love of God! <laughs> but but anyway, Caecilius. Uh, I can't say that he's one of the more interesting uh, antagonists that we've seen in the MCU, but when you cast an actor of Mads Mikkelsen's caliber, he brings a certain, I guess, gravitas to a role that might not be there if you cast someone else. I mean, I don't know if uh, his effectiveness was completely attributable to the way that the character was written or just the way that Mickelson played him because Mickelson's coldness and his calculating demeanor uh, that he is so good at embodying in, in previous roles, particularly in Casino Royale and in Hannibal, which he was spectacular in, uh, he definitely brings an air of an experienced villain. So I'm good, just as an aside, that makes me interested to see how he's going to play his role in Rogue One because it's kind of unusual for him. Mm-hmm. But as Caecilius, uh, I think that he provides a good stepping stone because these movies, frankly, are episodic. Right. You know, this is not going to be... I mean, they say it at the very end of the credits, Doctor Strange will return. These characters are going to come back. And... I don't think that it was an accident necessarily that Mordo was more interesting than Caecilius at the right. end of the day. Uh, they're they're creating a um, a relationship between these two guys, and I mean, the entire time they just kept calling him Mordo in the movie, and in, in my head I had to correct myself a little bit and go, Baron Mordo, no Mordo, he's not Baron Mordo yet, and okay, I know. Exactly. Well, exactly. And I I mean, I know that that's a conflict that is going to be inevitable at some point in the MCU, which makes me very happy. But um, I mean, Caecilius is a stepping stone to Dormammu, who will ultimately prove to be Strange's baseline for facing magical foes before he ultimately gets to Mordo. I, I, I can't say that I dislike that structure. Now, on its own merits... Within the movie itself, 
if this was going to be the only Doctor Strange story that we were going to be able to absorb in the MCU, then, you know, they probably should have made Kaecilius a little bit more engaging as a villain. I mean, they can't all be some of our favorites. They can't all be Loki. Or in my case, they can't all be Ultron. And I know Paul loves when I say that. But... You mean eyeballs? As... <laughs> Look at my eyeballs, Chris. They're all boogling at you. Even so though I'm Damn eyeballs, man. Yeah. Oh, wait, and, till, and, wait, wait, hold on. Wait till we get to Dormammu later. Dorm- yeah, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> It'll be his biggest obsession since Spider-Man's crotch. <laughs> or how many uh, how many shield throws in the Avengers trailer? <laughs> no, that, in the first Avengers trailer, it's just not enough. Click. Just not enough. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, Caecilius is a first step, yeah. and as a first step, I think he works. But as you know, a definitive statement on the kinds of villains that Strange will face, or that he's opening up for the rest of the MCU to face. Not particularly effective, but you have to place it, I think, anyway, in an episodic context. Yeah, no, and I think that's fair. And, and at the same time, we can evaluate it individually. And, you know, Paul, I, I just can't go along with the idea that he's the least interesting character in a universe that has Malekith. But um... <laughs> I think Malekith is, is more interesting oh, than him. Oh, no, no, no. Drain up. Oh. Yeah, the, way Sti- the way Simonson wrote him, maybe. Yeah, exactly. No, not, uh, not even Simonson. I would argue that even uh, I don't like Malekith's character in the uh, comics. He's still better than Kaecilius. Okay. Uh, uh, anyway, no, I think, uh, but it, it would be one thing if Kaecilius was the only villain in the movie, but he's not. You know, Dormammu is a part of this, and the final confrontation ultimately is with Dormammu. So, you know, I, I, I think the movie kind of shows that, look, Kaecilius is in many ways a vessel for Dormammu. So he has his own perspective, and they give him that. And I, I think the character is, is obviously the better for it. I don't think it's perfect. I'm not saying that Kaecilius is one of the best villains in the MCU. Um, I know I just put it, he's somewhere in the middle, um, you know, with like the yellow jackets of the world. But he's not, you know, but I, I certainly don't put him near the bottom. So, um, but, and again, this is as a guy who's just part of that step to Dormammu and then eventually with Mordo. And I'm glad, by the way, that Mordo wasn't the villain in this because I... I I think that ultimately the conflict between Stephen Strange and Mordo is going to be uh, so much richer as a result of the time that they put into it. Like, this movie did what Green Lantern did not do, like, in terms of, okay, they didn't want to make Sinestro the bad guy right out the gate, but they didn't show Sinestro actually working with Hal Jordan. Uh, But we actually got to see Dormammu working with Stephen Strange and actually having interaction and connecting with those two characters connecting with each other. Um, And I think that's what, you know... Granted, they didn't necessarily become the best of friends, uh, but mm-hmm. there is enough of a you know a rapport between them that it will be that much more difficult uh, for Stephen Strange when Mordo eventually you know emerges and, and shows him shows uh, Stephen Strange what he's been up to with his whole too many sorcerers bit at the end. Um, and, and speaking of Mordo, you know Chiwetel Ejiofor is fantastic in this movie. Yes, I, I think should have been given more. Um, well. It's ultimately not his movie, but he got he got a lot, and I, I think I'll, I'll wait my turn. I'll wait my turn. Go no, ahead. I'm sorry. No, but I, no, well, I, I thought he was I thought he was great in this. I mean, I think yes, that, yes. Uh, tell Edgy for was it was every bit as good as Mordo as Benedict Cumberbatch was as Doctor Strange. Like he was fantastic. Because um, Mordo, I understand why they didn't make Mordo a bad guy right out the gate. Because you know, from what 
Kevin Feige and Scott Derrickson had said in, in interviews uh, be, well before the movie came out was that the idea of you know Mordo just being like a stereotypical like arch villain, and that part is fair. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that because that's comic books in my opinion. But at the same time, like it, it, I can see why they wanted to go another direction, and they made it work for me, and I, I really liked that character, and I like that there's, I, I love that there's like. There's so much under the surface that we don't know about the character, and it's it's by design. Like I love when he talks about how he defeated his demons, and then the ancient one says, "Well, we never defeat our demons; we only rise above them." So it just shows that there there is this darkness in Mordo, and it's been there since before he came to Kamartage, and it's something that can reemerge. And for him to rise above his demons, he had to, you know, when I t- again I talk about the idea of moral relativism and, and fundamentalism in this movie. Like, in order to kind of rise above his demons, he had to give himself over completely to the teachings of the Ancient One and everything about these masters of the mystic arts and being very, very literal and not having any compromise in in that. Because, again, my guess is that he's compromised himself many times in the past and that in order to no longer do that, he had to, you know, subscribe to something in absolute terms. And it had to work, absolutely. And when he realizes that it doesn't, and he gives, you know, he says that line about the bill always comes, you know, the bill comes due always, you see that break. And obviously several months have have passed by the time we get to the post-credits scene where he decides that, you know, the way to solve this problem is if the sorcerers aren't staying true to what they're supposed to be, then there's just too many of them and we need to get rid of them. And I think, you know, we're going to see more exploration of that, obviously, and we'll kind of see more of where he got to that point. But I, I really like the way they set this character up. They they very, you know, very quickly, very subtly show that there is, you know, trouble beneath the surface of this character in, in his past, um, while also at the same time showing, again, from a with for Mordo to turn, you kind of understand why. I mean, because you, even though most of us might think it's reasonable to compromise if there really is a greater good that we're in the pursuit of, you know, for Mordo, for him to think that, look, we subscribe to these things for a very specific reason, not drawing power from the dark dimension, not violating natural law. All of these things are, are there, and whatever we do, um, anytime we violate them, like it, there are going to be consequences later. And he's totally right when he says it's the ancient one's hypocrisy that led Caecilius to Dormammu and thus Dormammu to Earth. Like he, so we have, and that's what's so great about this movie is we have all these people who have very different points of view, and they're all right to some extent with the things that they say. And, and Mordo is uh, another great example of that. And like I said, she would tell Edgy for just as an actor I, is just knocking it out of the park. Uh, pretty much with everything he says in this movie. So that and that's where I would just, you know, throw this out there. One of the things I thought about Doctor Strange is that this is probably one of the most well acted movies uh in the MCU. Mm. Um because we'll argue that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean if, when you just look at the level of performances that people brought in this, um and you know, we have great actors bringing their A game to this um and they really elevate the material. Yeah, you know, I, I loved Edge of Four, and this is where you know I'm going to say that I, I think they should have went with Edge of Four's Mordo as the main villain because I think that you could have had a Caecilius kind of character be like the the forerunner, like he's like the the visual, like we got to get this guy, he's the bad guy. But Mordo could have been behind the scenes with uh, Dormammu and and trying to get this all the whole thing started, and or at least focused on. 
uh, Strange and Mortal's relationship more because I think you have two great actors. I mean, to me, it's like if you're going to bring in a Kaecilius character and not give him much to do, why don't you focus more on Mordo and, and Doctor Strange? And they did give us a lot of Mordo, but I felt there could have been even more they could have done between the two characters. And again, you have Mordo kind of turn a, a heel, if you will, um, you know, at the very end. It would just make it more dramatic for me. I think that like having you're saving your, your drama for an end credit scene was kind of a mistake, to be honest. Um, I think Mordo should have been more uh, presented in the way where people could understand the character a little bit better. Uh, I know a lot of people when I saw the film, they are kind of oh, what, okay, like they. I don't think his turn was so obvious, and maybe that was that's probably the point. But I think for me, I, I would have preferred, and I think audiences would have really loved to see Stephen Strange and Mordo go and, and become like these, you know, people that are rivals but also friends. And then at the very end, you you see this guy, you know, he's turning over to. to Fully to Dormammu, or or whatever, or have something to where you can have like some dr- real real case drama. Whereas we get into kind of like end casualty thing at the very end again um, of a superhero film. And I think that you know one of the things I, I rewatched Thor recently because um, I was on a, I was reading all the Walt Simonson stuff that I left off of, and I watched Thor again. And one of the things I really liked about Kenneth Branagh's Thor is when you, it's, it's, Loki's a great character because you have drama between the protagonist and the antagonist, and they always aren't there for Marvel films. Doesn't mean, again, I'm not saying that's always a bad thing, but it's nice when you can present it. And I think they really could have went with that, a similar type of thing with Loki. I mean, not obviously fully because they're not brothers or anything, but you could at least have built that relationship up in the film and have them turn at the end and have it be dramatic and have them invest in these characters. I think saving the very end credit scene with Mordo, you know, killing the, the random guy that, there's also a weird thing, by the way, the the guy that, that he finds out about that, you know, walked away from being uh, paralyzed or whatever or something like that, whatever it was. Um, it just kind of was strange to me. No, no, no pun intended there either. Um, but to me, it was just I just wanted I wanted to see a more drama between those two characters because you have such great actors. I know we're going to get that, but I don't know. I, I just I feel that they dropped an opportunity that they could have really done even better job. I think it would have been rushed if they had done it in this one. And it ultimately wouldn't have been as satisfying as you're think as you think it would have been. Because like, I think with everything like to me, like, and again, because of the episodic nature of these films, like it works when, when it works, it ultimately works better when you allow things to build. And, you know, I think that was, that's key for Mordo. And, you know, this guy is Dr. Strange's arch nemesis. And, you know, I think I like the idea that we're going to, build to him like batman begin i mean it's a it's a totally different way but batman begins is better because you know the joker is there for the dark knight like i when, when you have to spend so much time establishing doctor strange like you can't you won't necessarily be able to properly service like the ultimate villain and i like that they i mean uh, without shortchanging him in some way and i like that they you know made the choice to go with kaecilius for this one with dormammu as kind of the the who's ultimately the big bad and then leaving Mordo for, for later. And obviously Dormammu will at some point presumably be back. But um, yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. I just, I, I, but ultimately I agree with the choice that they made in this movie. And I, and I think it works better. Like 
if Mordo, if we find out that Mordo's been bad the whole time and he makes that heel turn and we get the chair shot in this movie, then it violates everything that we've learned about him that's so interesting. Like, if you, but as opposed to like actually showing that there's a moment here where he breaks at the end and then when he goes away and he kind of comes back as somebody who's been, who's changed, that's a totally different thing that, you know, validates the, who this character has been as, a, as opposed to invalidating everything right. by showing he's really just secretly been an asshole this entire time. But I, but I don't think the change was, it was so abrupt and I don't think it was done in a great, it was, it wasn't done great in my opinion. And, I, and that's where I think that when you have not a great turn by the villain or a change of heart or whatever, and then you also have Caecilius who was a poorly written villain you could have rewritten all that those two characters and then really have done a, a better job, I think, with Mordo having that build up with Doctor Strange in this film. Yeah, so, I, don't, I, I mean, I wouldn't say Caecilius is poorly written, but obviously. Oh, he's what? Oh, he's not. He's not. Oh. His lines, his lines are great. Like he's got. But anyway, he's got five lines, but all right. He's got more than that. Watch the movie again. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as. Uh, you know, like the whole thing, like, well, we don't really, we don't really see the turn in Doctor Strange. Like we just see him walking away and then we get the post credit scene, which happens several months later. So like stuff has happened in between that we haven't seen. And you can't just take uh, an out of credit scene that's intentionally out of context and be like, oh, well, that doesn't totally, that doesn't, doesn't totally connect with what we saw at the end of the movie. That's okay. Um, Bucky sitting there in a vice grip at the end of Ant-Man doesn't make any sense, but we end up finding out like how it makes sense later because these, these post credit scenes are there to tease things that we can learn more about later. They're not there to show like to, you know, put a period on, or sometimes they can be, but you know, they're not necessarily always going to be about like showing the very next scene that we would get at, at, at the end of the, whatever story we just watched. Sometimes it is a leap into the future and we have to find out how we got there. And actually, Scott Derrickson mentioned that he did an interview on the Empire podcast where he actually said, like, we, you know, that they, it is several months later. And when you when they get back into it, if should they be so lucky to make a second one, which now it looks like that's going to happen, um, that they, you know, that they will get to that point. They won't just say they won't just drop it as, oh, now Mordo's bad. Like they will show more of that transition that Mordo alluded to uh, in that post-credit scene, right? And that, and I think that's good and all, but I think with a general audience sees that they just it confuses them more. And now when they go see Doctor Strange two, which I agree they will ha- it will happen, yeah. I, and I'm looking forward to that. So, so I think that'll yeah. they're, they're so confused that they gave it one of the best rookie Marvel opening weekends ever, an A Cinema score, and it dropped less than fifty percent in its second weekend. I don't think they're but, confused, but that is man. but that is but, but Sean that doesn't matter. Like it, it, if it people leave it go it's, it's, hold on hold on if pe- can people still like something and still be like that didn't make sense. They don't have to. Well, it doesn't have to totally make sense. That's my point about the. That's my point about post credit scenes. We don't always know how they fit yet. Like we, if you watch, if you watch the post credit scene at the end of Ant Man, it's literally a scene taken from Civil War with no real context to it. A lot of people were asking questions at the end of that. What are the Accords? What does that mean? What the hell are they talking about? That's the point. It's building excitement. It's like it's giving you. Que- it's intentionally giving you questions to ask so that you will want to come back and find the answers. I, I, I just think, I, like I said, I just think that it was it could, could have done a better job with it. All right, Chris, how do you? Where do you? <laughs> I'll give you the chance to weigh in on Mordo. Did you want the heel turn in this one? Did you want? Re, did this need to be WrestleMania 17? 
No, I I don't think so. Uh, but let let me let me gush a little bit. So, going back a ways in modern myth media history, you may remember, and I don't think I remind people very often about it, but you might remember that I was a little more confident than some of the other panelists in the Avengers. Yes, you were before it came out. Uh, much of that confidence was due to my love of Joss Whedon's show Firefly, which created a, a cinematic spinoff a few years after the show was canceled called Serenity. Mm. And in that movie, I was entirely captivated and taken on the emotional journey that it was, uh, that, it, that it was portraying, largely because of that film's villain which was a character that didn't have a name. He was only known as the operative. Uh, he worked for the the Supreme Galactic Authority, was concerned with keeping state secrets, and he didn't care who he had to kill in order to make sure that the secrets were kept. And there's a really excellent moment in that movie where Captain Reynolds, played by Nathan Fillion, is talking to the operative over a comm channel, and they're talking about their similarities and differences. And uh, ultimately, Captain Reynolds says to him, there is a chief difference between you and I. I don't murder children. And the operative just looks almost longingly sad through the comm channel at him and says, I do, if I have to. And the actor who played that part was Chiwetel Ejiofor. Mm-hmm. I was entirely captivated by what he brought to that part. And virtually everything I've seen him in since has also similarly captivated me. So when I heard that he was going to be Mordo in this movie, I was completely and utterly on board. Uh, I was a little bit confused, maybe uh, sort of closer to, to Paul's camp, that it looked like he was standing alongside Strange as opposed to across from him. But of uh, uh talent as an actor and his ability to emotionally connect with the story he's telling, he gets inside of the material, which is very, very important for any superhero movie in particular. You know, it's, it's one of the first lessons that Superman, the movie taught us about this entire genre. You can't be smarter than the material you're representing. You have to get inside of it. And edge of four and everything has been a master at getting inside of the material he's representing. So, after watching Doctor Strange and absorbing the arc, uh, I mean, you could argue that compared to some other parts that Geo 4 has played, it's a relatively simplistic arc, but it doesn't really matter because he brings such an element of dedication to it. And, um, I mean, even in the moments of levity, uh, compared with the moments where he's trying to relate to Strange, how Strange is short-sighted in the way that he's looking at things by the end of the movie. I mean, he just, he comes to work. And there's nothing in me that just can't admire that about him. So having the promise of him fully realizing Baron Mordo that we know so well is immensely interesting and it will likely be all the more rewarding because we have this baseline of him first as an ally. So would it have been interesting to see him as the villain in this movie? Absolutely. It's interesting to see anything that this guy does, frankly. But from from the perspective of only Doctor Strange and his fraction of the MCU, 
I do think that we will potentially get a far more rewarding experience by having this first movie build up to the eventual conflict between Strange and Mordo, especially considering what both men know, what uh, what Strange is doing in becoming more of a powerful sorcerer, and now this Strange, and I use that word not in relation to the character, this dedication that Mordo now seems to have in his realization that there are too many sorcerers, I think that Edge of Four is the perfect guy to sort of bring that kind of conflict to life in an interesting way, and in a relatable way, but also in a way that represents the material as opposed to what some actors can have a tendency to do of getting over the material and sort of uh, losing themselves in sort of a cartoonish representation. You know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that in anything. So whenever we get to Strange versus Mordo, Strange v. Mordo, Dawn of Magic, I will be... I will be, be very, dusk? very interested. Wouldn't it be the dusk to see what mag- happens? Wouldn't it be the dusk of magic? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's probably based better. on yeah. what Mordo's going for. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do a quick tangent on this because we are talking about the the idea of uh, you know building to Mordo, um, and this is going to make Paul feel really happy. Um, uh, I actually don't want Strange versus Mordo in Doctor Strange two. Um, I actually want it in Doctor Strange three. Uh, I kind of like this. I kind of like this path that Mordo is on and I actually kind of want to be able to watch him walk down more of that path before he even encounters strange. Um, and plus I really want nightmare as a villain in a doctor strange movie. So I actually would like to see doctor strange kind of distracted by the immediate threat of nightmare in the second movie while we continue to build towards Mordo becoming more and more powerful in a third Doctor Strange film. but uh, One that would probably give Strange time to actually become the Sorcerer Supreme as well. Exactly. You know, I would like these two guys to really be at the height of each of their respective powers before they they eventually collide. Um, And even, hell, Mordo could be so powerful that he could even you know, he could become an Avengers level villain uh, in a in a phase four that ultimately you know could be led by the newer characters, the newer faces like Stephen Strange. But but anyway, um, so I, I think we've we've covered most of most of the the main characters here. Uh, really quickly, I'll just throw you know talk about Wong a little bit. Um, Wong kind of. I liked Benedict Wong as Wong. I thought, and I, I liked that they kind of made him. This librarian, the person who safeguards the knowledge of uh, of uh, of Kamartage, and we and we know that that's obviously a very dangerous position because we literally see his predecessor beheaded in the opening scene. Um, but I am a little bit bugged by like Wong, like not getting an action beat in this movie. Um, you know, we see him holding the wand of Watum, which is great in a cool little Marvel Easter egg, but at the same time, like. We never actually see him fight. It's we see him facing down Caecilius, and then we cut away from it. And then when we come back, Wong's already been impaled, and we just kind of reverse time, and we never really get to see Wong do much of anything uh, from an action perspective. So I felt like that was a little bit of a miss there. Like a, I love that they you know took the character out of the role of being a servant of Doctor Strange, but I also feel like there was an opportunity to. Like, we don't really see Wong using the mystic arts. Like, we say he's a master of the mystic arts, but we don't show him doing it uh, the way that we got to see the Ancient One do it, uh, the way that we got to see uh, Mordo doing that. 
Um, so like I, if there was a character that I felt was like was let down a little bit in this, even though he had some fun parts in the movie, and I don't want to say it was all it was all a waste, I, I do feel like uh, you know Wong could have been given a little bit more to do in this story without necessarily having to take away from anything everybody else did. And I guess the other character that was probably let down in this was Christine Palmer. Um, so Rachel McAdams uh, did a great job as an actress doing, you know, taking, getting as much as she could out of, out of very little. But again, it's a, it's like Caecilius, but not, you know, but Caecilius, I think, ultimately gets to have more going for him. You know, she it's the same way where she kind of disappears for an entire act of a movie. Um, and again, there are some great bits there, you know, and some really great emotional scenes with her character. But you ultimately her character is very much about like teeing things up for Stephen Strange and not so much about, you know, Christine Palmer. So it's not necessarily the greatest role. I don't think it's terrible. And, you know, and, and obviously there is another strong female character in the movie with Tilda Swinton as the ancient one. But I, I wish, uh, you know, for Wong and Christine Palmer, I wish they had found some place in the story uh, to do a little bit more with those characters. I'm definitely in agreement about Wong. I really like what they did with the character and made him like the librarian, the powerful librarian. Yeah, but you know, so, like, exactly. Show, no, I'm show with me you the power. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. No, it, it was interesting because um, like, you know he has I, this I didn't... awesome wand in his hand. Show show him using it. <laughs> like, <laughs> the wand. Well, no, like, <laughs> the wand of Watum is cool, but like have him use it. Like he, all he yeah, does is hold but... it. He's like basically yeah. shaking a stick at the kids on his lawn. Like, he's not, he's not doing anything with it. Yeah, you know, I, I will say that it was kind of a bummer we, we didn't see him in action. And, and as far as um, Rachel McAdams, it's, uh, isn't, isn't her character like the real night nurse? In the comics, Christine Palmer is the night nurse. Yeah, she's the real night nurse. And uh, so maybe uh, it just we'll see her, in, you know, hopefully in other films be kind of a, you know, a helper to other people. So I don't know. I, I thought she did a good job again with no. what, you know. Yeah what she was given so um, i love that they lifted the you know they they made it more of an action beat but they lifted that scene from dr strange the oath where in that uh, you know in this case dr strange had been stabbed but um you know in the oath dr strange has been shot and like as she's performing surgery on him like he astral projects to like assist in the surgery to save his life so and then of course this time they also had him battle one of uh one of the zealots but so which by the way was a totally cool I, the fact that we got an astral projection fight in a Doctor Strange movie is is a super was a super cool nerd out moment for me, and I, I do think that like Christine Palmer got great bits in the movie, but just didn't get to be a, a a fully realized character as maybe some of the other players were. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, disagree, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, she 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 just didn't really have. I mean, when you hear Rachel McAdams, you generally think of pretty, or at least I do, pretty pretty critically acclaimed parts. Mm-hmm. She's she's got some excellent acting chops, and uh, yeah, she was. You could probably argue that she was kind of squandered in this movie. Uh, that's not to say that she doesn't do like you guys have alluded to that she doesn't do very well with the material that she has. But you know, an actor like that, you would kind of expect to be a, a leading superhero in her own right, as opposed to taking a more um, a more supporting role. So, you know, I mean, 
maybe maybe they'll give her something more to do. Maybe she'll show up alongside Claire Temple. Who knows? Probably not. Um, yeah, yeah. This is sad. But I couldn't help but going back to wishing she was Clea. You know, as I was watching the movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so like I'm still kind of yeah. I wish they had gone that route, but. At the same time, though, like she had—I mean, she had great scenes. Like that again, that scene at uh, Strange's apartment, where again, like he says that line, "This is the part where you leave." Like, she's great in that, and yeah, she and, is. You know, and she's also great in like the comedic bits. Like even when the broomstick drops, like and she screams like that. I mean, granted, it's not necessarily the hardest thing to do, but <laughs> she was she was great in that. Like she was yeah. great in that scene. Like as this astral projection fight is going on, and she's just reacting to like the little you know, movements that she sees in the room that she has no idea what's going on around her. Like I, I liked all of that. And, it, and it's, it's a credit to Rachel McAdams for again, stretching to get so much out of, uh, you know, so little that her character was given, but as good as that stuff was, there's that other part of me that, that just kind of wishes, man, like I, I hope they find something cool to do with her, to do with her character in the future. Um, otherwise I'm just going to wish that, you know, if we were going to get, uh, you know, be given the gift of Rachel McAdams in the MCU that it was used better. Mm. Yeah, I agree. So uh, we've gone through, I think, a lot of the main plot and a lot of the main characters. So were there any, since we're all comic book nerds here, were there any, like, just pure, like, geek out moments? I'll start with you, Paul, because I, I, I got to give you a chance <laughs> to be positive about this movie. <laughs> no, I, I like the movie. Yeah, it's just, I you know, like I said, there, there's just there, you know, I really yeah. was disappointed in those certain aspects. But that being said, I still enjoyed your, it. Yeah, but what were your what? Like, let's talk about some specific stuff that's just cool for uh, for nerding out. What were some of your Marvel nerd out moments in this? I think this is a Sanctum Sectorum yeah. uh, seeing like the the, the 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 window sign. You know, I never and again, I, I'm, you know, everyone knows who me pretty well here, where I'm pretty honest in my feelings, even with things that are, you know, I should know this stuff. Like I had no idea what it was called even for years, um, and it was like, oh, Sanctum Sectorum. Okay, I get it now. That makes sense. Um, it was really, but I've always knew what it looked like because I've seen it a lot in the comic books. You know, even in, in Infinity Gauntlet, uh, they go all hang out in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Centaurum and uh, teleport to fight Thanos. So it was cool, really cool to see that. Um, I'll be honest, uh, mid, the mid-credit scene with his gloves, every, I've seen people complain oh, about the gloves. Awesome. I love the gloves. They were awesome. <laughs> I know, they were so good. Yeah. I was like, you know, and and that's you know that's the thing for me. I think that was why would really he wear cool. gloves? Like, did you see his hands? Yeah, they were nappy. <laughs> Come on. Um, so uh, no, but I I, I love I love seeing him in full costume. Um, and honestly, the, the cloak of levitation was uh, was was amazing. Um, I actually really liked the fact that it was a character in and of, it, of itself was really clever. I felt. Um, you know, even even it got to a point where I almost thought it was going too far. It it, it actually pulled back, so I, I was actually very happy with what they did. Um, I have to say, I, I geeked out at seeing Dormammu, with the one exception of, of giving him some eyeballs. I don't know with what Kevin Feige has the, he, if he wants to have his villains have eyeballs for everything, but uh, Dormammu doesn't need eyeballs. Um, and uh, it, it really Paul hates his eyeballs. He gouged his own eyeballs out in in protest. Well, see, because I was re- <laughs> it's funny because everything 
I don't know when I'm when I'm reading Dormammu uh, in the comic books, like I love the fact he doesn't have eyes. I think that what makes him like really creepy looking is that he's got like the slits for him. You know, he's got like the indents in his face that look like he has eyeballs, but he doesn't. So it makes him look more surreal, and I always like that about him. Um, you know, and so see, I didn't understand that you got to give him like some kind of a face for an audience, I guess. But uh, that being said, I thought I thought he was handled actually well for the most part. Besides that, um, you know, it was cool that they gave him the lions on the face, which I was really happy about. At least they gave him something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I will say I feel like they they missed an opportunity for the mindless ones. No, they didn't. But, uh, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. What do you mean? Did I miss them? You missed them. What, the, what do you think oh, Isilius and his buddies turn into at the very end? Oh, is that is that what happens? They are mindless ones, dude. They turn all dark blackish gray, and they have the big red light coming out of their face. Oh, I, I totally just missed it. They are mindless ones, okay. dude. Okay. They are in there. Okay. That That is eternal life in Dormammu's dark dimension is you become one of the mindless ones. That's okay. 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 All right. See, that's see. I didn't know. I didn't notice that. And I'm not so that, sure if I just. So I spoiled I one t- of my. Yeah, I spoiled one of my geek out moments. But when they turn into mindless ones, because like I think I was the only one who noticed it. Because like when I was like the first time I saw it, I was with uh, with Mark Hughes, uh, who writes for Forbes. And of course, if you follow me on these shows, you've heard me talk with Mark a bunch of times. But I was like, dude, those were mindless ones. And then when I watched it the second time, uh, I was like, yep, totally, they're mindless ones. I'm going to look for a picture. That's awesome. I want to see this now. Actually, if you look at Scott Derrickson's Twitter feed, like he actually had a picture of it fairly recently. Sweet. I'm going to check it out right now. They are mindless ones. Oh, nice. Well, then I stand corrected. Then I will consider that a geek out moment because I totally missed it. But knowing that, I would have been really geeked out about that because I love the mindless ones. They're really cool. They're not like they're not all big and hulking like the mindless ones are. They're True. they're skinny mindless ones. But maybe they'll you know once they're around they, for a while they'll they'll bulk. Yeah, they'll turn. Yeah, they'll, they'll work out. <laughs> yeah, they gotta start lifting, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. What Retroactive about, geek out moment. Yeah. Then, Paul. What about you, Chris? Any any geek out well, moments? Sort of, but you know, it, it, it's not exactly a positive one, and it's not necessarily a critique that I aim solely at this movie. It's kind of a critique I have of Phase Two in general. Um, I mean, I, I I went like ooh when they specified that the Eye of Agamotto is also the Time Stone. Hmm. But, you know, it it sort of got me thinking because I wonder when they decided that they were going to go full in on the Infinity Gems or or Stones. Because my interpretation when the first Avenger first came out, or in the the end credit scene for Thor, I should say, I thought that was the Cosmic Cube. You know, I thought that that was going to be sort of the Marvel film adaptation version of the Cosmic Cube. And then it's not until later that we find out that the Scepter and the Cube have Infinity Stones in the middle of them. And I was sort of like, okay, well, I mean, this might bode strangely for future exploitations of those kinds of artifacts. And then they say the Eye of Agamotto has the Time Stone in it. And I understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, but it also kind of makes me wonder, you know, if they want to use these same artifacts in future movies after the dispatch of Thanos, 
are they just going to go back to being the Eye of Agamotto? And is the uh, is the Mind Stone going to go back to being on Vision's head? I mean, it seems like a fair amount of reset needs to happen because in the in the Marvel Comics universe, of course, when they become aware of the Infinity Gems, they are held with very powerful people to safeguard individual ones. That's the whole reason that the Illuminati exists, basically. And having these uh, these very important Marvel artifacts, especially like the Eye of Agamotto, turning it into an Infinity Stone seems like there may not be a lot of mileage for using the Eye of Agamotto past Infinity War. So I'm not really sure if I can, if I necessarily like that the stones are being tied into these important Marvel artifacts because it's just, it, it, it's hard for me to imagine, and I'm sure that they'll come up with something they always do, but it's hard for me to imagine how they can just go back to being the, the, the stone on Vision's head or how it can go back to being the Eye of Agamotto or how it can maybe go back to being the Tesseract if that ends up happening or if they're going to introduce the Cosmic Cube as something entirely different later. You know, it's just like I'm not I'm not necessarily sure of the necessity of having the Eye of Agamotto and the Time Stone be the same object. Good point. Yeah, it's definitely not necessary that they be the same thing, but I kind of like that the Eye of Agamotto actually, because it's the Time Stone, it gives it a, a little bit more of a specific function. I mean, obviously it can do multiple things with time but in terms of a a more general thing it it manipulates time um i kind of like that it does that as opposed to the eye of agamotto in the comic books that just does everything that dr strange needs it to do at a moment's notice um you know i so i kind of like that it has uh, a more established set of rules uh, in this world as opposed to like i said in, in the comics it's just what do I need right now? Okay, well, I have my... Before it was called the Eye of Agamotto, it was called the Enchanted Amulet, and it could just do whatever Doctor Strange had to do, and it got him out of any situation. So I kind of like that, you know, there's there's going to be more of a challenge to being Doctor Strange because he doesn't just have this device around his neck that does everything he wants at that second. Um, but I agree, like, I like the way the Eye of Agamotto looks as part of his costume, so I kind of want it to still be there after Infinity War. Um, I guess right. it, it could go back to them holding the Infinity Stones because that's... The Illuminati each hold on to an Infinity Stone, so I mean, yeah, Doctor mm-hmm. Strange, of which Doctor Strange is a member. Yeah, so Doctor Strange would be the keeper of the the Time Stone. Uh, Vision could become the keeper of the Mind Stone because they're we don't you know we're going to need to bolster that roster of Illuminati because we don't have everybody uh, that is part right. of the Illuminati in the comic book. So Vision could come in there at, and you know swap him out for Mister Fantastic or somebody else who can't be part of the crew. Um, which, by the way, please, Fox, just let it go. We need Mr. Fantastic in our Illuminati. <laughs> yes. Please, mm-hmm. just, yes. just come on. We, we, need a, we need a movie where Peter Parker, Tony Stark, and Reed Richards are trying to figure out how to repel Galactus. That's yeah, Black really Panther. Uh, well, yeah. at least in, the, in the, the newest incarnation of Black Panther in yeah. Marvel Comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, so it is very possible that, you know, we could still see these stones because these guys would be the keepers of them after the fight uh, against Thanos. So I think that part would be... Okay, but I, I agree with you. It's something that they have to kind of figure out after the fact. Um, as far as my kind of nerd out moments, I mean, there were a ton of them. One of them, it's not even related to the comics, but I, I just love that shot of the hands coming out of hands and then all turning into hands folding on top of yeah. each other that turn into Doctor Strange's face and then he goes through his own eye. Um, was just 
<laughs> such a cool shot. Uh, that was just yeah. pure trippy Doctor Strange goodness there. Uh, but yeah, that whole thing of him floating through those different dimensions. But then when he takes off into the dark dimension, I was just pure geek out with that. I mean, I already mentioned the mindless ones later. Um, yeah, all the Sanctum Sanctorum stuff. When the Cloak of Levitation goes and gets him, like or the first time it kind of protects him, and then when it goes and catches him as he's you know falls over the rail, uh, you know onto the stairs, um, how it catches him and, and raises him up. Like I, I absolutely love that. Uh, but yeah, the, the Dark Dimension thing was just that was just the coolest for me because you know as much as I loved the folding city stuff and, and everything, the kaleidoscopic vision that was. Taught, that was thrown around a bunch of the trailers and I loved all that and it was cool and watching it in the movie it was amazing and some of those sequences were just fantastic I mean that chase sequence in the mirror dimension of Kaecilius going after Doctor Strange and Mordo you know when these different like rails are like going back and forth like these different platforms are going back and forth and how they're chasing each other like that was all just so amazing uh, so amazing to watch um, but uh yeah, like, so that part was great. But then when we finally got to the Dark Dimension, like, because that's the stuff that I really wanted. Like, that's the stuff of, like, actually going inside a Steve Ditko panel and seeing that with the Dark Dimension and Dormammu um, was just, it was amazing. It, there were so many cool, and there were several more than that, but just so many cool little moments and, and, and big moments for Doctor Strange that, you know, they really did, a, I, I thought, a fantastic job of, of putting those comic books on the screen and, and bringing them to life at that, you know, it was one of, it actually is one of the most purely faithful adaptations in the MCU. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and, and yet they, you know, it doesn't just feel like, you know, going by the numbers and just mapping out what's in the comics. Like they made it feel like its own thing while at the same time being extremely faithful, uh, to the source material. So, you know, that's a credit to everybody involved. And of course, uh, director Scott Derrickson, who, you know, talked a lot about how much he was influenced by the Lee, the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko run, and he totally honored that uh, in this movie. And he he absolutely delivered uh, what he promised in in that respect, and it, it was fantastic. Um, transitioning now to kind of the the end of the movie before we wrap up with our kind of final thoughts. I mean, I I liked the way this movie. I I love the mechanics of how this movie ended. I, I love how it is quite literally a reversal of the end of a lot of superhero movies, including Marvel movies, where you know be, good guys and bad guys are fighting and a city falls apart. This is good guys and bad guys fighting as a city gets put de- gets put back together. Um, <laughs> uh, but then even the but even the time loop thing, like I absolutely you know once he goes off to the the dark dimension, that battle with Dormammu. First off, um, I had no problem with the eyeballs. I, I love Dormammu. I thought he was. <laughs> I thought he looked great. I thought he looked super powerful. Uh, like just, he looked like uh, you know, he looked like somebody who was impossible to impossible to beat. And Doctor Strange doesn't really beat him. And, and I love that they find a way around it. It's not so much about uh, beating Dormammu; it's about being willing to lose to Dormammu over and over again for all eternity, yeah. uh, just so that Dormammu can't beat Earth. Um, and I think that was. It, it, well, first off, it's it's a clever way of ending it. It also actually honors the comic books because the first big confrontation between Doctor Strange and Dormammu ends in a bargain for Dormammu to no longer bother Earth. And then, of course, Dormammu finds a way around that eventually, as I'm sure he will in the MCU. So I love that they honored that beat from the comic books. While at the same time, um, I, I really love the, the you know what this said about Doctor Strange and the way it fed into his arc and that 
ultimately there was there was no glory in it for him nobody was ever going to see what doctor strange was doing um you know he was never going to go down necessarily as a hero uh, but he was just willing to literally die over and over and over again we see him die several times um and who knows how many times he actually died over the course of that I know Scott Derrickson said something about how there was, at one point, there was actually a line in there where they said it had happened over a thousand times. But either way, he was dying a bunch of times and he was willing to do it over and over and over again because it's not a, you know, he learned that lesson of it's not about him. Uh, he was willing to be truly self selfless, and that's how he ultimately was able to strike his bargain with uh, Dormammu. And, you know, it, it perfectly ended, uh, you know, uh, his arc for, the, for that movie. And at the same time, was a really clever ending to a superhero movie that's uh, completely unlike anything we've seen before. You know, I think you you nailed it there. the The ending was very clever, and that's where I think this movie I think gets a, a good pass on the villains for me, is that how it ended was not the traditional superhero way. And I give it a lot of credit. I, I, was, I thought it was very clever with him dying so many different times. And again, like it, you show. It shows such a progression of the character and the what he's willing to do for for his world and the fact that, you know, he's willing to feel that pain and you set that up that, you know, now like he truly is changed and he feels every single death that he goes through. And uh I, I love the time loop thing. I thought it was really clever and you know, uh, like I said, I, I was I was very impressed they were able to to, to Pull off a Doctor Strange film and not it feel not make it feel by the numbers, which is very easily could in Marvel right now with you know what fourteen films being made, being made, whatever. So um, it's really impressive, and I will say I love that aspect of it. Um, thought it was really cool. So yeah, kudos to the writers for and and Scott Derrickson for putting together a, a very a very clever but yet risky ending. That's a very that's not a money you know that's not an ending you would you put at a superhero film and feel confident one hundred percent like people are gonna love this. Like that's a risky and I give them credit they they took a risk with that. Yeah, I mean it was it was perfectly uh, nicely unexpected. Um, there was there was an element of um, of reinforcement to the lessons that Strange had had learned over the course of the entire movie. You know, he finally started to get it, and he took us along at the same moment that he started to get it. And facing down this uh, this immensely implacable force that we've been hearing about for the entire movie, and seeing how he finds a way to sort of circumvent the fact that he is no match for him. Was uh, was was nice and it was uh, unique amongst Marvel movies and superhero movies in general, as you guys alluded to. So, no, I've got no problem with uh, with the way that the movie ended at all. In fact, I I find it actually very good. And yeah, I didn't have any issues with Dormammu either. I mean, that entire scene, that uh, the entire way that the Dark Dimension was set up in that in, in those closing minutes. Uh, very, very visually distinct and, and extraordinarily vibrant. And I don't think I was expecting that from something called the Dark Dimension because um, uh, I don't really have a, a particularly strong baseline to draw from when it comes to the source material. So I found uh, that stuff to be really, really visually exciting. And on top of that, um, the way that Cumberbatch played that was also uh, funnier than I was expecting it to be, but it also fit because, I mean, sometimes when it comes to 
the ends of superhero movies if they lean on on humor or uh, irreverence a little too much it can fall flat but it's almost like he was he was enduring these things over and over again but he also knew that he had the leg up every single time he came to say I've come to bargain and uh and I I really enjoyed that so no no real issues to speak of whatsoever in how the movie ended it was unique it was fun and it seemed to fit with the the rules that we were learning over the course of this movie. Yep, completely agree. Well, let's get to uh, let's summarize here and end with uh, some final thoughts. So, Paul, I'll, I'll throw it to you first because I know, you know <laughs> obviously this is a movie you liked. I know you were hard on it in some places, but ultimately you liked. Yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, I, I think that this. And by the uh, way, you do need to watch it. A, I really because my I, because even I my opinion changed after the second time. Even though I already, I mean, my opinion, I already started off in a place of liking it more than you did after the first round. Um, but I definitely think you. I, I would be really interested to hear what you think after a second viewing. No, and, and it's just funny because I wanted to try to. You know, I had and we had plenty of time too, so that that's on me. But uh, I just, you know, I just hadn't really felt the desire to want to see it again. That's what kind of was concerning for me. Um, and I had some problem with Age of Ultron, but I forced myself with Age of Ultron because it, it was such a high profile film that I really wanted to like it. So I saw it again. You know, and I think for a future show when we do it, I'll I'll kind of chime in and let everyone know when I when I do, because um, you're right, Sean. Like there might be, I might like it a lot more the second time. Like for instance, a great example is a uh, Man of Steel. Uh, I didn't know what to think of Man of Steel really uh, after that, and I ever talked to Chris Clow here for a good 45 minutes about it. I think the day I saw it, saw it the next day with my brother, and I absolutely loved it. So. You know, I, I think that Doctor Strange could definitely be that for me. Um, I don't know if my mind's going to change necessarily on Cassilius. I, I, we'll see. But, you know, w- with my problem with Cassilius aside and wanting Mordo to have a, a more of a, a focus in the film, um, I think it's a good sign that I wanted more Mordo because I love Ejiofor's portrayal and character um, and him as an actor. I think I, I absolutely loved Benedict Cumberbatch as Stephen Strange. Um, so I think those are – that. I mean, that, like I said in the very beginning, you have to have that in order to, to have this franchise go forward, and they have that in spades. And I think it's awesome that, you know, it, you know, I don't know if you guys remember this, and I think we talked about this before, Sean, is that <laughs> um, people criticize the casting of Benedict Cumberbatch as being too perfect. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, well, lucky and it's us. Fu- <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. I'm like, well, that's cool because he was literally perfect for Steven Schlitt. He was perfect. And I appreciate the effort that he gave um, – which is, you know, he put himself into the character. Uh, I'm really excited to have him in the Avengers movies. I think this opens a door to so much for the Marvel Universe in, the, in these Avengers films. I'm, I don't know. I, I think that with my, with my kind of my, my harsh things with it aside, I still did enjoy it. Um, and I still loved seeing Doctor Strange on screen portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch, which ultimately is their goal. And they definitely succeeded that way. And Chris, yeah, I I echo those sentiments for for well for the most part. I mean, um, Cumberbatch 
is already a guy that I I have a lot of respect and adoration for. So, I mean, him leading a superhero movie is kind of a match made in heaven in my mind for my tastes. So I was reasonably confident that I was going to like what he did, and lo and behold, I, I really, really did. And uh, all of the elements on top of that, Doctor Strange is probably one of the single most um, visually impressive films that Marvel has ever put out. Uh, I mean, the special effects were, of course, a very big part of that. But even the production design, you know, it's a, it's a nice balance between the, um, the, the very old and the modern you know, you get to see the the heights of uh, 21st century luxury by looking at Strange's apartment in the beginning of the movie. And then when he actually goes to Kathmandu, the entire feel of the movie changes from a visual perspective and from a from a color palette even until it goes into vibrancy on an entirely new level when he starts actually dealing with the mystic arts themselves. So, uh, you know, it's kind of all over the place, but it never feels like it's going off the rails, which I respect. And I think that that's a sign of a good director, uh, in addition to a great production designer and a great visual effects team. So, you know, I mean, the the comparisons with something like Inception, yeah, they're apt, but it goes for something very different than a movie like Inception did. I never and, thought uh, that, by the way. I, I don't mean to interrupt, Chris, but, well, but this, I never it, I mean, got like it. The, the, the city folding over on itself is the most direct comparison to make, but you know at the same time too, going for entirely different things. I don't I don't diss Doctor Strange for for looking similar in a couple of scenes to uh, to a movie like Inception. It doesn't bother me whatsoever. I mean if if you're going to look similar to any movie, a movie like that is probably a good one to look similar to anyway. But that doesn't I'm I'm not trying to diminish the uniqueness of Doctor Strange because when it comes to superhero films in general, it is it is very unique. Um, you know, flourishes in storytelling aside or if if you if someone thinks that there is I guess a lack of uniqueness in the way that the story is set up. You could potentially argue that, but I think all of the elements mixed together make for a final product that uh, that more than satisfies sort of a craving for a unique entry in the superhero film genre. So I mean, it's a com- it's a it's a combination of a lot of great different things. So I mean, it's it's sure it's not my favorite MCU film, but. It's a very good one to watch. It's uh, it, it, like you guys have, have said, it's very, very well performed. You, I don't think there's any arguing with that. Uh, and at the end of the day, it is a very solid entry in the MCU that just opens an entirely new door as we race to the fight with Thanos. So I have pretty positive feelings about Doctor Strange. I'm pretty interested to see where it will lead things overall. It's yeah. It opens up a new door that is a door to an infinite number of other doors. Like, and that's what's so fantastic. Right. That, among many things, is fantastic about Doctor Strange. And I, I love that you brought up the production design because, you know, I mentioned Steph Soretti at the top of the show as the VFX supervisor, but he's not the only member of that Guardians of the Galaxy Dream Team that was brought over to Doctor Strange. Like, this a lot of the same team that introduced us to the cosmic side of the MCU is now you know, bringing us to this magic and mystical side of it. Um, Charles Wood was the production designer on Guardians, and he worked on this one. And 
I loved everything about it. You already mentioned, you know, the New York skyline, which thankfully included an Avengers Tower. Uh, but also, uh, you know, the Sanctum Sanctorum looked amazing. Uh, you know, like it's the most famous address in Marvel Comics, 177A Bleecker Street, and it looked fantastic in this. Um, Alexandra Byrne did a fantastic job on the Doctor Strange costume design, and really everybody's costume, um, but especially Stephen Strange's. Uh, she's done a bunch of Marvel stuff, uh, including Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, Ryan Meiderding is the, you know, the head of Marvel Studios visual development. He, of course, did the the, des- the overall kind of character design for Doctor Strange, so I got to give him some credit for the costume uh, as well. But they really just did a fantastic job. And I also thought the the cinematography in this one, this actually might have been, I think, just in terms of the way this was shot, this might be the best-looking Marvel movie. Um, and it was Ben Davis who did Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I believe he also did uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. But this one just looked uh, gorgeous. And so, you know, obviously I had a very positive opinion of Doctor Strange. I don't really... I haven't really ranked it on my Marvel list yet, and I... but. You know, like you said, Chris, I mean, it's not going to end up as number one on my list, but it doesn't need to. Like, you you got to understand how high the bar is now on this, mar- on the, at least for me anyway, and I, I think probably for for you two as well. But yeah. in order to get into, like, the very top of my Marvel list, like, that bar is set extremely high. So it's not an insult to any film if you don't quite get there. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, I love pretty much all of these movies, not necessarily all to the same extent. Um, and there are some that I know are are definitely more towards the bottom quality wise, but you know this I think is definitely you know certainly qualifies as one of the better Marvel movies. And um, you're completely right, Chris, in that even though there might be, um, and as I kind of mentioned before, uh, before at the top of the show with one of my criticisms, even though there is some similarity in the structure of this movie, there's enough about in you know in those kind of vague conceptual terms, but then. Once you get into the specifics of how this movie looks and what it does and all the things that it goes into, that's where you get the unique quality uh, of this film. And I, I really can't say, I mean, one of the best compliments I can give it is just repeating what I said before, which is living inside a Steve Ditko panel. Like I, I really, because that is artwork that was crazy influential and, and, and broke into pop culture in a way that a lot of comic book art does not. Um, and you know, so it was amazing for Steve Ditko to be doing that in the '60s, and it was fantastic for Scott Derrickson and company to be honoring that uh, in this film. And overall, uh, I, I really love this movie because I think you know, I've always loved you know, Doctor Strange has one of the better origin stories that's out there. They did a great job telling that story. They did a fantastic job even covering some of the even just little minutia of Doctor Strange and, and magic in the Marvel universe, um, and. I thought it was, you know, really great direction from Scott Derrickson. A great job by the rest of the crew that I that I've already mentioned. Um, and going back to what I said about the acting, Benedict Cumberbatch nailed it as Stephen Strange. Um, so he totally validated everybody's criticism that he was perfect for the role. So, <laughs> Seriously, guess what? If you had a problem that you know, if your problem was that Benedict Cumberbatch was too perfect for Doctor Strange, well, you were right. Uh, he is too perfect, and but that what a stupid thing to complain about. But that, yeah, but really, that actually, I know. It, but that actually ended. But of course, you know, there's a reason he was perfect, and he showed it uh, in this film. And as I said before, I thought Tilda Swinton was great. She would tell Edgy Four was great. Um, Mads Mikkelsen, I thought, again, was great. And even Rachel McAdams, like I said, didn't have the most to do, but still turned in a great performance. I do believe that top to bottom, 
This is one of the mo- the best acted Marvel movies that we've had, maybe the best. The, the acting was just top-notch uh, in this film. The, this movie delivered in a really big way, and I feel like it's done everything for magic and mysticism uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that Guardians of the Galaxy did uh, for the cosmic side of it. It it really is a a fantastic movie. I'm glad that people are getting into it. It seems like mainstream audiences are responding to the film uh, in a a big way, and I think that's fantastic. It it shows that Marvel has once again taken a character that most people do not know and elevated them uh, to being a true kind of mainstream pop culture icon, and I think it's only going to get bigger from here uh, with Doctor Strange because we're going to be seeing a lot of that character. Uh, We're probably seeing him... Based on that post, based on the mid-credit scene, we're probably seeing him in Thor Ragnarok. We'll see him in Avengers: Infinity War. Uh, we'll see him in uh, what formerly Avengers: Infinity War Part Two, which is now an untitled Avengers movie, uh, in 2019, and then probably a, a Doctor Strange sequel in 2020. So that will mean five years in a row, counting this year, of, of seeing Doctor Strange. So we're probably going to be seeing a lot of the character, um, and I don't think that's going to be a bad thing because I think people are really responding to him uh, because this mm-hmm. is a great movie and because Benedict Cumberbatch is so fantastic in the role. So I absolutely love the movie. Um, I think they did uh, a fantastic job with it. I was thrilled with it, um, even though there's always going to be that part of me as a fan who can say, well, you can always make it just... However weird you think you can make a Doctor Strange movie, you can make it even weirder, uh, which I, I'm sure they'll get into in the sequel. So there's more room to grow on yeah. that. It was every bit as weird as they needed to be while still being clear and something that an audience can access and, and understand and, and really tap into. So I think they did a I, I think they did a fantastic job with it. So my hat's off to uh, everybody involved in making the film. Uh, and that's where we'll wrap up our conversation on Doctor Strange. And like I said, well, we know we have... Inhumans and other things to talk about <laughs> that we will be getting oh, to very, very soon. Uh, but yes. we needed to get this Doctor Strange review to you, uh, even though it is a little bit late. Our thanks for you sticking around and listening to it anyway. Uh, but in the meantime, until our next episode, Chris, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Clow, uh, where I post a fair amount of the regular work that I'm doing. My most recent Comics on Film article at Movies.com. Runs down five extended or alternate cuts of superhero movies that made a difference. So check that out. And Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's. Um, it's funny because I recently was on a, a podcast called Random Chatter, which will be an episode where we talk about the X-Men franchise for films and what they need to do for rebooting, et cetera. And uh, I had talked about, obviously, I was promoting Marvel Newscast on the show and ironically said, for people want to, who haven't heard it want to have a, a really fun episode to introduce them to, listen to our Fantastic Four episode. <laughs> and then we had shades of that today. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Um but no, I had a great time talking to those guys. Uh, you know, it was really cool talking about Marvel and all kinds of stuff. So check me out on there. It should be up probably within the week or so. So yeah, check me out on there. Yep. And if you want to keep up with me, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sean Gerber. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast and other Marvel news, you can go to marvelstudiosnews.com or at uh, Marvel Newscast on Twitter. Uh, you can also send emails with questions to marvelnewscast at gmail.com. And if you want to keep up with Superhero News, you can check out their YouTube channel, um, or you can go to superheronews.com or follow on Twitter 
at Superhero News CB. Oh, we also have an Instagram, uh, Marvel Studios News on Instagram. If oh, you yeah. want to check that out, because that's when I was posting a bunch of photos from the Doctor Strange premiere. So every once in a while when I get to do something cool, uh, I'll share that with you guys. Uh, in the meantime, though, thanks again for downloading this show. So for Chris and Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks as always, and we'll see you next time.